Welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. This next episode, I'm really excited about. We have Josh Warmaster Barnett as our guest. Josh is a former UFC heavyweight champion and an MMA legend, in my opinion. He's fought for Pride, the UFC, Strike Force, and numerous other organizations. He's a cool guy, metalhead, into horror movies, comics, all the stuff that I think is rad. So I'm really excited to have him as a guest. Before we get cracking on the episode, I uh, just want to mention our Patreon campaign. You go to patreon.com, everything went black podcast, and um, you can help support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. Um, I'm not just looking to take your money. I'm actually looking to really upgrade everything, get some new equipment, turn this whole operation into uh, a full-blown uh, media uh, you know, platform where we can have some shows, documentary you know, type stuff, and uh, just kind of step things up to the next level. Um, in addition to that, if you want to support the podcast, um, you can check out some of the uh, uh, sponsor links I have at everythingwentblackmedia.com. If uh, you're into nutrition, I have uh, Onnit's MCT oil. Um, if you're into the training, um, I have the uh, link that goes to the unconventional equipment that Onnit has for sale, such as kettlebells, bow ropes, maces, clubs, that sort of stuff. And if you need something to put your gear in, there's a link to Datsusara, which um, they make these incredible uh, hemp-made bags, uh, gear bags, uh, grappling shorts. They even have chopsticks, which are made out of hemp, which I find quite interesting. And eventually, I'm going to get those as well. I currently use the fanny pack. I have uh, one of those gigantic gear bags I put all my stuff in, um, either when I'm training or if I uh, go out on tour. That's pretty much all my luggage. So it's a great company. Chris was uh, a guest several years ago on the podcast. Really cool guy, and I believe in their product. Last but not least, we have Savage Gold Coffee. If you're a coffee lover, go to savagegoldcoffee.com and place an order. And um, another way that you can help support the podcast is just uh, telling your friends. Spread the word. uh, Give us a review on iTunes, uh, star ratings, that sort of stuff. If you want to get at me on Twitter, at MikeHillHQ. I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram, Mike underscore Hill underscore Primate. And um, if you want to email me directly, you can hit me at Mike.Hill at EverythingWentBlackMedia.com. So aside from Vince, I think we uh, we have another common acquaintance uh, with Champ Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the angriest leprechaun. <laughs> the angriest leprechaun. <laughs> Yeah, I've known I've known yeah. Champ for uh, many years, man. Like we, our bands have played together. Like you know, I've known him for a good fifteen years. Uh, yeah, how'd you get to meet Champ? I met him at Maryland Death Fest uh, when he was still with Kill the Client. Oh he was yeah, still doing Kill the Client, and uh, he came up to me. He goes and told me what a huge fucking fan he was, and I'm like, well. Oh, dude, that's, that's pretty awesome. And then I watched him play, uh, listened to his, his shit, and hung out with him uh, up there over the weekend, and he's a solid dude. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. Um, so whatever happened to your podcast? You were doing a podcast a couple years ago, and I caught a bunch of the episodes. Basically, uh, uh, Fox just started doing a real shit-ass job and uh, doing stuff like not editing the, uh, the, the videos properly like uh having like taping us 10 minutes before we're gonna go and 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 uh do our session and then leaving that that 
10 minutes in there of people talking about completely nothing to do with it. You know, just like, whoa, dude, what the fuck? You not, you not pay attention to anything that you guys record? And then, like, uh, guys taking off on vacation. I'm like, well, well who's going to edit this? I just went and recorded Goat Whore live on location and nothing. Like, or just not even putting podcasts up. So, I mean, it, it was just like, wow, if you guys are going to be this unprofessional, then there's no way I can I can make this happen, which was really surprising because, you know, Fox is pretty big, but it was like dealing with amateur hour. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's like I'm not going to put my name on something that can't be to the quality that I want it to be. Yeah, it's too bad because it looked like um, just some of the guests you had on there were really cool. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Godor fan, and you had a lot of bands and stuff that I liked. And I don't know. I just thought it was it was pretty cool. But if that's the case, then say yeah. I'll <laughs> I, I, I did want to do more shit like that, like get all kinds of – I mean, there was like a, a push-come-to-shove moment with them, especially when they're like – you could talk – I said, look, from the beginning, I want to talk about whatever – I want to talk about. I want to bring on whoever I want to bring on. Do you have any problem with that? They're like, no. Okay, great. Well, I want to bring on a guy who is an expert on Nazi occultism and the whole crazy Nazi occult uh, um, element from World War II. And they were like, no. Absolutely not. Can't happen. We don't want that here. I'm like, we're not here to talk about being a Nazi or doing Nazi stuff. We're talking about history. A wacky, crazy, very important to uh, cinematography uh, part of history. I mean, that's where we get rid of the Lost Ark, uh, all kinds of Hellboy stuff, you know, all kinds of crazy movie villain shit. It's just weird stuff. I go, I want to get a guy on here and talk about that kind of crazy shit. Like, no. Yeah, it I can't think, happen. I think yeah, like Nazis, and I'm like. Ah. I think like the major sort of old school mentality is just kind of behind the times, man. And like, it's sort of like the independent thought is, is sort of still being like suppressed for this thing that doesn't really exist. Like this perceived barrier that people can't handle certain concepts or certain sort of ideas or that they need to have someone hold their hand into, you know, the, this, uh, down this passageway and having their minds made up for them. And that's, that's too bad. I think, you know, it is. And a lot of it is, fear and, and and litigation based um, they just uh, well if someone thinks you have some money they're definitely going to find a way to try and get it from you uh, but at the same time they're, they're just always so concerned with what they consider their image or um, trying to never be too particularly offensive potentially to any of what they might consider their core audience but um, I don't know. I mean, I think that if you come to me for a podcast, what, what, what do you expect? What do you, what kind of shit do you think I'm going to want to talk about? Yeah. They obviously didn't do their homework, I guess. <laughs> no. And, 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 uh, you know, we started off with good numbers and everything, but it just, it just wasn't going to go anywhere. And we were doing it for free at that point. Uh, and you know, there was also stuff like I said, look, I want to play music on this podcast. I'll get, I'll go to people and get the rights cleared, but but why don't you send me a blanket sort of uh, licensing thing from your legal? Oh, yeah, we don't need to do that. No, it's no big deal, no big deal. And then I go and I get Andy on there from Every Time I Die, and they got a couple singles out. Uh, their album's going to drop, like, I don't know, like, uh, like, like a month after the interview or something like that. So I go and I clear through Epitaph and, and their manager and, and 
get on there, play the music on the show, do all this stuff, and then in the end, the, the fucking the podcast goes up and nary a speck of music. And I'm like, the fuck? Now I look like a moron moshing around in my own studio. Silence. So what the fuck? And they go, oh, well, legal. Blah, blah, blah. I go, you got to be fucking kidding me. That's why I approached you long in advance. But, but uh, you know, too many, too many things like that. And you just can't. A successful podcast it will not make. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, one of the questions I had to ask you is, um, you know, these days... MMA is like sort of in the, um, you know, more in the public consciousness as a viable way of being, you know, an athlete professionally. But your first fight, I believe, is in back in like 97 or some, you know, someplace in the late 90s. Back then, no one really knew about MMA. Like it was still this kind of shadowy, like underbelly. you know, you'd find it in the you know on a VHS tape in the porno section. You know what I mean. So, what drew you to the sport initially? Because you know, I, I obviously I've been a fan since you know since the '90s and you know Pride, all that sort of stuff. So, how did you even get involved in the sport back then? Like it was because hardly anyone knew about it. Uh, I just stumbled my way through the dark, basically swinging at whatever came my way, and uh, eventually it led to being a professional fighter but at the time when I saw it in high school and as a sophomore I go oh well I'm going to do this one of these days I just didn't know how and then from there it was training any sort of martial arts stuff I could do I was a high school wrestler and just keeping that in mind and then when the idea of trying to figure out a way to go out and fight was uh, something that I was really considering it was like, well, okay, I'll, I'm going to train boxing here. And I'll go train with this guy. And uh, well, this dude did Thai boxing. And this guy did karate. And, and just trying to, to pick up as much as possible and just find people to uh, spar with. Or um, even when it got to after I'd had my first fight, which I didn't know where I would go and fight. I didn't know where opportunity would lie. And uh, by chance, an old wrestling coach knew of this place, AMC Pancration, and how they were holding fights in Washington. And so I happened to be on winter vacation, got an opportunity on 11 days notice to step in and fight this grown man who's a professional, and won my first fight. And after that, it was, well, we'd want, like you to come back in the summer and fight again. I was like, well, that gives me something to work towards. But while I was in university in Montana, I would try to fight anybody that I could, uh, be it see the guy uh, doing some sort of anything in, in, a, in a gi of, of any sort and just come up to him and be like, hey, dude, uh, I see you do martial arts. <laughs> uh, uh, you ever watch UFC? Yeah, what do you think of that? Oh, you think it's pretty cool? All right, well, what do you think about fighting? <laughs> like you and me. And just talk people into getting into fights. And we negotiate rules and just go at it. And it was a different day and era, but there wasn't, there just wasn't a place to do that. And there weren't even professional fight schools, really. They didn't exist either. So at some point, I had to move back to Washington if I was going to follow this because AMT Pancration was one of the only actual full-time fight schools that I could think of. And that's how I got on my way. A lot of your career was overseas in Japan, so I mean... um 
you know, being, you know, sort of at a young age, I imagine international travel wasn't something you did a whole lot of prior to that. So what was like that culture shock like? Uh, well, I was always a huge fan of Japanese culture from movies and comic books and things like that, and video games. Uh, so I was excited. I had been really pumped and jazzed trying to get to Japan one day as even like a like a 12 year old kid I really wanted to go over there that was something that was a dream at that time and when I did live in Washington I never really went anywhere I'd been to, to Oregon and uh, Montana and Idaho I never really got to go anywhere or do anything but part of fighting also was that it was such an international sport that I I knew that it would take me around the world and so for me, I didn't see any other, I didn't see a, a, a better opportunity to travel the world, meet its, meet different cultures, and punch its people in the face. <laughs> so being able to do that and get paid for it all at the same time seemed like the best of everything. That's pretty awesome. So, I mean, all right, so... I just, I know back when I was like in my early 20s and the first time I'd even been to Europe, it was just like a totally different experience, man. So, I mean, you know, like, you know, what sort of impact did that have on you? You know what I mean? I know I came back from Europe the first time I went over there and I was like, man, I, you know, I feel like a completely transformed, like, individual, you know? Well, it was, it, it was a massive element to, to growth as a human being for me because I ended up uh, joining New Japan Pro Wrestling and in 2002 and then at a point I ended up I was staying over there I was there pretty much all the time training Bob Sapp and then uh, I got this New Japan deal and started going on the road touring uh, pro wrestling so we would travel all over on tour in buses uh, all over Tokyo all over Japan uh, and then fighting uh, in between tours uh, and things like uh, New Japan had did, did, did do some MMA stuff called Ultimate Crush, fighting in, in Okibambae and an event in Pancrase. Um, so I lived in Japan for two years, and then at one point with Pride, I was fighting so often, I was there every other month anyways. Um, but living abroad helped expand the way I thought about things, uh, especially because Japanese culture and American culture are very different. And everything has its pluses and minuses, but just to be fully immersed in a completely different way of being culturally, uh, whether you like it or you don't, is a real eye-opening experience that has a very, in my opinion, a very great opportunity for positive growth, period. And so it's always been kind of... A, a disappointment to me that last I had known about the stat as far as Americans possessing passports at something like under 30%. And I just thought, well, that's a travesty because until you get out there and see the rest of the world, you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it really is shocking, actually, now that you mention that, um, especially with in this day and age with the current administration and this like very bizarre fear-based uh, sort of attitude that a lot of Americans have about foreigners in general. Um, the fact that most... It's the, it's the typical 
uh, situation of, of a person being being afraid of or, or even not even knowing the right question to ask, like thinking that they know what question, you know, what question that they, that they need fulfilled or, or like, Oh, well, you know, this is the issue. It's like, well, actually, no. I mean, of all the shit that you don't know, you don't even know what you don't know at this point. You're, you're still so out of it. And so, you know, what, what Americans could be afraid of necessarily in a, in a sense of a, a, a global level versus what they actually should be afraid of on a global level or probably, or I would imagine just a hundred percent night and day. And that's just simply because you cannot, you, you cannot create uh, a good base of knowledge from an area of ignorance. And the only way to get rid of ignorance is to create experience, to have experiences or to, to study, to, to fill that gap until all of a sudden you're no longer ignorant. You're, you're maybe you're a neophyte or you're, you know, you're starting to get, a small piece of understanding, but going from having no idea, I mean, what, what real rationale can you create from that? Yeah, I think it's all part of the kind of the quote unquote system in the way that, you know, young people just kind of get roped into these um, vocations and careers at an early age. And, you know, there's this very goal oriented vibe in the United States where you get out of college, you get a job and there's no time for really. Uh, personal growth or expansion or travel or any of these other things. It's very rare that like young people typically get a chance to experience the world in a way that maybe you have, or, you know, if you're playing in a band and touring the world, you know, you might, you might see different things, you know? This is true. And, you know, I, of, of all the things, I never felt like a guidance counselor was ever all that good at guiding me to anything. Um, they, uh, it's just people are, are woefully underprepared uh, to, to be fully authentic, existing human beings in this world. And, um, you know, we we have different, obviously, uh, in America, our value systems are going to be different from Japan and going to be different from Germany or any other place, you know, different cultures. But I just think that even on a whole, in a lot of places, value systems are are skewed in, into external unnecessary things where you, you think people are thinking they're going to find fulfillment in these these vapid areas like social media or material or or wealth and it's like well no I mean all your, you're, you're really just talking about tools in one sense I mean social media is a tool wealth is a tool uh, they can all be very helpful they do not, not create fulfillment you know that's a whole different story so you're known as War Master, and obviously, you know, I pick up on the, the bolt thrower uh, reference, and, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people who actually listen to this podcast that you're a huge metal fan. So uh, when did you start getting into metal? Is that something that you, as a kid, you always got into, or is it like later on in life you discovered it, or, you know? Uh, well, I was always a metal guy, and my dad was a classic rock blues dude. And so I would hear Zeppelin and um, uh, Savoy Brown and Clapton and all kinds of stuff like that. And then like Robert Cray and B.B. King and uh, various blues artists too, C.B. Ray Vaughan. But what was coming, what was kind of uh, making the rounds when I was a kid was Maiden and ACDC, Metallica. 
and I got to tell you, when I'm a young kid and I see an, an Iron Maiden shirt with Eddie on it, with a bloody hatchet in his hand, and it says Killers, I just was like, whoa, what the hell is that? That must be the coolest thing ever. And uh, I became this huge Iron Maiden fan. Uh, but then from there, you know, it's like this, this uh, the, the, the son of the, the people that used to babysit me when I was really young, he's a big metalhead. And so at one point, he handed me down his, his Metallica uh, uh, Damage Incorporated t-shirt. You know? nice. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever i wore that into absolute pieces and uh i really started getting into metal uh well before we go, before we go any further i have to ask you real quick are you a diano guy or a dickinson guy i'm both i can't i can't pick one or the other simply because when i hear dickinson sing diano stuff it doesn't sound right it's about the only one he can really do where I'm like, uh, that's that's good. Is, is Iron Maiden, but but the Diano stuff is so much hmm, kind of dirtier, punkier. Uh, it's got just a whole different feel to it, and I, it just doesn't sound right coming out of Bruce. No, it just doesn't. And his voice is amazing, but uh, I don't know if Diano could do Bruce stuff either. So uh, I'm. I'm I like each for themselves, and I don't consider them completely separate bands because obviously, with Steve Harris writing so much of it, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm split right, right in the middle there. I don't, I don't, I don't cross pollinate them. For me, I kind of favor. I favor the Diano stuff as far as personal taste goes, but you got to give respect to Bruce for his just his ability, man, and the fact that the dude's like what, like in his 60s and he's still in phenomenal shape running around stage and you know voice sounds yeah, excellent I, I, my first maiden album really was peace of mind and so i was a big dickinson guy all, all the way and then when i bought killers uh, as a tape i'm going this isn't bruce dickinson you know nobody i didn't know that but it, i fucking loved it and it grew on me and i love the, the the kind of the raspier um vocals of Deano and yeah, you know it's all Iron Maiden man and it's, if it's Iron Maiden I'm usually pretty, pretty into it have you heard uh, Deano's other band that he did called Battle Zone it's a band that came out after no, I, I can't say I have it kind of demonstrates the fact that he kind of needed Steve Harris in my opinion he, he needed someone with his caliber of songwriting ability to really make him shine I think you know uh, well there's a lot that goes into making a band, as I'm sure you were well aware of. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all, all those moving pieces, there can be something so utterly critical other than the thing that, that people see right out in front. So, uh, nah, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. You know, Steve Harris is a, is a metal god, so and there's a reason for it. But, you know, it was from Maiden to Metallica and ACDC, uh, although I'm a, a Bon Scott ACDC guy. That's, that's, my, that's my preference. Um... But at some point, I started getting into things like I saw Dead Embryonic Cells on Headbangers Ball. I was blown away. Like, what the fuck is that? Now, this is some, something completely different. And then I saw um, Lack of Comprehension by Death. And I started getting into much more heavier metal 
offerings and just being like, there's a whole different side to things. And at first, you know, it's, it was a little hard, hard for me to get past certain stuff. Like the first time I heard Cannibal Corpse was like, the fuck? But then again, the first time I heard uh, Slayer's uh, Show No Mercy album, I, it like scared the shit out of me. Like, yeah, definitely. I thought yeah. I was going to help listen to that thing. And, you know, Slayer's Season in the Abyss was one of my absolute fucking favorite albums growing up. And I, I loved Megadeth um, and Metallica both. Uh, uh, but at one point I started seeing because I'm a big nerd and I would play Warhammer 40k and Warhammer uh, Fantasy Battle and so I, this role playing game stuff and I would see these covers on these CDs and they're all Warhammer shit and I'm like what the fuck is that whatever it is it's got to be amazing bolt thrower I want to hear that Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. And I, first time I listened to both throwers, just so, so heavy and crushing and epic. I felt like not only was it the perfect soundtrack to uh, to the art that was on the covers, but uh, it was just something beyond anything else I was listening to. And from there, I would get into other heavier shit and uh, yeah, move my way along. Yeah, there's a there's a new. Um a new band called uh, oh damn it's like it's got Bolter guys and Benediction and, what's that oh you think Memoriam Memoriam yeah yeah that's like the next yeah. wave of, of Bolt Thrower man that stuff's pretty awesome there's a, there's a group called Gate Creeper too that is you can tell is quite heavily Bolt Thrower uh, influenced and I saw them live with uh, Nails and Toxic Holocaust and they they fucking ripped oh cool and there's also a band out of Texas I believe I don't know if they're still around called called Warmaster who is uh, also a bolt thrower homaged quite a bit and they're pretty they're pretty awesome too yeah that that sort of long reaching arm of that kind of slow brooding you know there's it's like they're 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 a death metal band but they have this like plotting vibe to it bolt thrower and that that's like something kind that, of yeah they've got like a beat you could nod your head to too. Out yeah. of all things. Yeah, definitely. And there, there's like a bunch of bands in Germany that I've, I uh, played with actually over the years. Uh, one of them's called Fear is the Path to the Dark Side, and uh, it's the same okay. kind of vibe. It's like black metal vocals with like that bolt thrower sort of creepy like brutality to it. You know, it's just like anything that's in that genre. I just kind of I'm like pretty much sign up for it, man. It's like a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Got your flavor. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, you know, the, seeing Bolt Thrower live was one of the greatest things, one of the greatest concerts I have ever seen. I remember the first time at MDF in 07, the first time they'd been back in the States for 13 or 15 years or something like that. And I had got to know them through email, of all things, uh, just being like, yo, guys, I really love your music. If I could ever do anything, do if, if I would love to use it as I walk out or do anything to support you guys I would 100% love it and they were just super stoked they're like oh fuck really alright cool <laughs> so I started walking out to Bolt Thrower Music and even had the Bolt Thrower logo on my on my shorts like as a sponsor logo yeah. for this fight in a fiction and then uh, there was this game Electronic Arts uh, MMA and uh, because of me you can you can choose Bolt Thrower as a sponsor logo to, that will either be on your ring or on your fighter's shorts and stuff like that, and uh, along with Metal Blade Records. <laughs> so you can get metal as fuck in, in Electronic Arts MMA, uh, which is pretty old now, but uh, uh, still, I thought, there's got to be some metalhead 
kid that, that was going to turn that game on and be like, fuck, I can be sponsored by Bolt Thrower? That's amazing. But uh, I got to, to meet those guys, and they're just as nice as can be. And as nice as you think that is, they're nicer than that, which is a, a real pleasant surprise. And then watching them play live, they just crushed. I mean, the place was so packed. Now, that place, Sonar, is kind of under an overpass and in a kind of gritty area. And this outdoor stage was was set up and there were so many people there you couldn't you couldn't press like a fucking squashed rat in between anybody it was it was just a madhouse and that's where i met champ and it was just an epic moment and then when they came back through again i saw them at mdf and then they did a tour of a bunch of different locations uh through the u.s and i get buddies and bands going hey dude can you can you hook me up it's sold out and <laughs> I, you know, I get tickets for folks, and then I get these text messages afterwards from from people in fucking known bands going, "That was the heaviest thing I've ever seen in my life. That that was like the most crushing show ever." Yeah, man, that's you can't really beat both. Or I, I remember when they when they first came back, everyone was like real stoked about it, and uh, you know, I'm, I am really looking forward to that memoriam stuff. They just have that one seven inch out, and I think they have a full length coming out uh, later this year. Um, and that's that. I think that's going to be really cool if it makes it over here to the states. But you know, these days you never know. That's true. And uh, those guys are all uh, long in the tooth, old veterans, and whether or not they want to like jump on planes and shit like that, yeah. and start flying. And uh, you know that that chance, those chances diminish. But you know, Carl still seems spry to put out music. He's got a bunch of good dudes behind him, and uh, you know, I'm excited for him to do their thing. You know, uh, some of your fight uh, walkout sh- uh, shirts, um, I noticed like some of the artwork is like sort of comic book inspired. Are, you're, you're a comic fan, I, I'm assuming, right? You mentioned Hellboy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, massive. Yeah. So, um, massive. You know, I mean, what, what kind of goes hand in hand with this whole discussion of uh, br- brutal metal and fighting is Conan the Barbarian. Is that something uh, you, you ever get into, like Robert E. Howard's Conan? Oh, yeah. I used to buy the uh, the paperbacks when I was young. I'd read all the, the, the old Robert E. Howard stuff. I my I got to be honest, my favorite Conan, um, uh, uh, what would I call it, favorite Conan media, let's say, because, I mean, it, it really stretches, doesn't it? But um, my favorite Conan media is the Dark Horse uh, graphic novels that he was doing, that they were doing with uh, Kurt Busiek and Carrie Nord. Yeah. Those to me were that's the that's the best Conan platform period and and, and the movie of course I, I love the living shit out of that the, the really most do. the most recent uh, one the, right? the original oh the original with Schwarzenegger the original one okay. the original one I haven't I haven't even had the the most recent one anywhere near anything of mine but uh, the original by uh, John Milius is one of my favorite movies of all time but yeah I read the read the novels uh i love the the dark horse graphic novels and uh uh you know on the soundtrack <laughs> fucking uh, love pretty, the presenter prints yeah you know so the soundtrack's pretty epic actually that's like uh he- heavier than a lot of bands actually you know what i mean like it's yeah like, for real yeah it's like 12 french horns in the <laughs> opening song <laughs> but uh yeah like you know the dark horse stuff is rad um you know what i like about it it's that 
you know, I mean, I, I've collected that stuff my whole life, man. And, and like, you know, the original uh, Roy Thomas uh, written with Barry Windsor Smith doing the art. It still very much felt like a comic book, you know, from the 70s. You know what I mean? It was like it came out in the era of like, you know, Spider-Man and like the, the 70s, late 60s explosion that Marvel Comics had. And um, but the, the Dark Horse stuff actually kind of brought this other level of making it a little bit more truer to maybe what Robert E. Howard possibly intended in his original work. You know what I mean? And that's, I think, why I prefer that stuff, too. I think so as well. I mean, it's not like Barry Winter Smith's art isn't great. Uh, especially, you know, go, go look at Weapon X. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. That's an incredible story, and it's beautiful. But um, it's, you're right, the regular Conan books uh, from Marvel, where they just still feel comic booky, you know? Know, people screaming IE as they fall off of a wall or something. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't, whereas the Dark Horse stuff is far more grittier, muddier, bloodier, uh, and stays very true to the uh, the source material stuff, which even is, is even better when it brings in like the weird Lovecraftian elements that, as, you know, Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft were, were buddies and pen pals, anyways, and they used to chat with each other constantly. Speaking of uh, Lovecraft, have you checked out that movie, The Void? Have you heard of that? Everybody keeps telling me about it. I remember putting the preview uh, stuff out there and being like, guys, this movie looks like it's sick as fuck. I think we should all check it out. And now I'm the guy who hasn't seen it yet. And it's like a love letter to Fulci and uh, John Carpenter. So two things that I love already. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember we, we all went to go see it at a midnight show here on the big screen. There's like, um, there's a theater here in Brooklyn called the Nighthawk Cinema, and they have, um, you know, artsy films, stuff that's like, you know, of a wide variety, not just like horror. It's very similar to uh, that that uh, that theater in, in, in um, Austin. Uh, the yeah, there you go. That's it. Yeah, they, they serve food, and you're not crammed in there like an animal with all these other people. You actually have a table, and you can spread yourself out and be comfortable. And uh, they had a midnight show, I think, just one night only on the big screen of the void. So, you know, of course, you know, got a, you know, a couple people went out. And it really was like, you know, pretty much lived up to all the hype, in my opinion. I mean, you know, of course there's some haters out there that want to, like, you know, nitpick things to death, but um, for me, being a huge fan... Always of, yeah, being a big fan of, like, you know, Lovecraft and, you know, just horror and science fiction in general, I thought it was, like, you know, pretty pretty awesome in general, man. I, I, it, you gotta see it. That's number one, man, for sure. Highly recommended. I really, I really want to see it, too. You know, it's, it's something that's it's on my to-do list, so to speak. Uh, and I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. But um, I've, I've heard nothing but good things from people that I I trust their their opinions on too. So um, a while back, I caught you in a movie, uh, Never Back Down Three, No Surrender. True enough. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm a big Michael Jai White fan. I mean, he was Spawn, so you know how can you not love Michael Jai White? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually. Though I liked him as Spawn, the movie, the HBO animated series, I thought was a lot better than the film. That's just my honest opinion. Agreed. I, uh, that's how I actually got into Spawn. I never really read the comics, but, uh, but I remember watching the HBO animated series and loving it. And I thought that the movie could have been a, a lot more along those lines, but I feel like, well, you know, it's Hollywood and they didn't want to make it 
that dark. Plus, I think isn't Spawn PG thirteen? And that's that was a big disappointment to me about that movie was that it needed to be rated R. And like, you know, the animated se- you know series definitely had that R rated vibe to it. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I was a little bit let down by it. But anyway, so. Any more acting coming up, or you know, was that like a one and done thing for you? Or are you going to get more into no, that? No, I mean, I, there I've had I've done three features so far. Um, oh. The first one was uh, this movie Absolution with Steven Seagal. Oh wow! Okay. And then you can find that on Netflix. And then I also did uh, obviously, like like you were saying, I did that uh, um, Never Back Down, No Surrender, which was a, a massive. Uh, just just such an awesome opportunity also because Mike was one of the people who was big on pushing me to get into acting in the first place so for me to be able to go and then help him and and be a part of this movie with him was amazing Um, but I did a film with these close friends of mine they have a a movie production group so to speak (laughs) it's as indie as can be called Coat Wolf, and Coat Wolf did a movie called Bellflower, uh, which I dug, and then I got to meet these dudes and then help them and became a part of this movie called Chuck Hank and the San Diego Twins, which should finally come out this summer, but it's been about five years in the making, and I'm really super stoked to see how this thing comes out. Uh, as we, it's, think, Final Fight, Double Dragon, Streets of Rage kind of stuff, but done live action, but almost more literal in that if you you know knock over a trash can on the street you might find a a energy drink there and drink it and actually get better (laughs) that kind of thing or find weapons just laying around and and gangs just just pop up and start fighting you that kind of thing so so i mean how did you actually um you know you mentioned michael jai white got you sort of interested in it i guess but like how do you find the experience of acting i mean i know it's um I mean, I don't really have any legit acting experience, but I've been around like productions before, and it's a lot of waiting around, and you know. So, how, how did you find that whole experience? Uh, I mean, I like it a lot. It's it's difficult, to, especially if you're trying to get the best out of yourself, and it's not something that I can approach the same way that I approach fighting. And you can't just act harder or anything like that but training is important uh and finding your comfort level and being able to tap into certain feelings and emotions and and elements within yourself and then allow them to to come out on screen when need be is a skill that you have to develop and you have to get more in tune with how you feel and think about things and how you interpret situations and that, that to me is just a Anything that I'm going to do that makes me do something different or challenges me in a completely different way, I'm into it because that's how you experience radical growth. That's how you really become your next stage uh, better version of yourself. And, uh, you know, if I can keep getting XPs, keep getting those experience points, I'm hoping that I can level up to, you know, some sort of a 33rd level warlock. Who knows? Let's <laughs> stick with it. Did um, you do any formal training or anything like that for acting, or just kind of DIY? I've done, I've done acting classes, oh, but okay. uh, I'm still pretty new. I guess I'm pretty raw. My, my manager loves to just give me a bunch of shit, and he goes, well, you know, if you're anybody else, you would be able to pull this shit off. And I go, well, <laughs> uh, well, I'll do my best nonetheless. 
So your last fight was in uh, 2016 against uh, Andre Arlovsky, another you know legend in the sport as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so do you have any plans for another fight, or you know, are you getting into coaching, or you know? Well, I've been coaching for a while. Yeah. Uh, even though I've been, I mean, even as a active athlete, I've I've been coaching athletes for a very long time. Uh, but uh, I've been spending more time on my coaching, uh, but also just. After fighting for 20 years straight with no real break, uh, especially no real set intended breaks, so I decided to finally have one, and I took a real vacation after my last fight uh, that didn't really involve anything to do with business all that much, and got to see Europe finally, uh, fully, and then since then I just haven't had the the interest to, to put myself back into training camps and things like that, but I have the... It's still sitting under the surface, and there's still more I want to do with it. It's just I know that the life of fighting is a lot going to be a lot, um, a lot shorter at this point than the life of everything else that I'm involved in. So uh, I'm wanting to make sure that this these, these jump-off points are going to be um, created and tendered in such a way that when when I do stop fighting, uh, they'll be available. And that's the thing is that when you fight, you put everything else aside and you can't take these acting opportunities. I had a movie, it wasn't even that long of a shoot, uh, but I was a pretty fairly heavy character in the movie and it would have been a great role for me. But, and they try, they're like, how about just, we could just, just five days, just like, well, no, I can't. I can't do it. I can't get out of camp. I can't risk the the chance of losing my momentum and what I'm doing here, and then go into that fight any less than 100. percent So uh, everything suffers when you fight, even your even you, and hopefully your <laughs> opponent. But uh, I'm just uh, putting some time into into that, and you know, had had some big personal change, big, big change in my personal life. So, uh, it seemed like, well, glad I don't have any fights on the horizon. So do you, um, do you still like train in new, new styles at all? Or, I mean, are you pretty much, you know, uh, well, I'm always, um, altering the mixture, always, uh, you know, messing with, uh, with the, with the, the structure that already exists to try and find new things. And a lot of that has to do with, me just trying to always find new ways of growth but also because I train all these people and they all fight differently they're all fighting different fighters and there's always a lot of variables out there and I want to be able to account for these variables and have the best solutions to any problems that should arise and uh, you know I've done I was doing Kyokushin Karate for a while uh, but I just haven't had the time to be consistent about going back in on a regular basis. So to me, that was going to be like my yoga, right? I, you know, people go to yoga to chill out and stretch and work on. I'm like, ah, oh, I'll go do karate and work on katas. And, but I mean, it's still, it's a heart style. It's a sparring knockdown karate. So yeah, they, they don't wear gloves. Yeah. There's no gloves yeah. in Kyokushin, right? No, not bare knuckle. <laughs> Because I saw this documentary called The 100 Man Fight. I don't know if you're... I want to see that. Yeah, that looks, that looks fucking hellacious. Yeah, it talks about the 100 Man Kumite. Yeah, that was... Um, like, I, I don't... I never... I didn't know much about Kyokushin Karate prior to seeing that. And uh, 
that was like a really, really intense documentary. Yeah, I, I actually own a copy of it, man. But that's another another thing you got to check out for sure, man. It's great. Oh yeah, so one of my students is a Kyokushin uh, black belt, who's also a he's a world he's a junior world champion, and he's like a world weight category fourth place and third place, I think. But he's also the youngest ever to compete in the World Open Kyokushin Karate Tournament at 18 years old. Wow. So, that's, that's uh, so when I go to good fight, when I do go to Karate, he, he's, he's technically, he's my, he's a senpai, so I have to do what he says, <laughs> even though I'm his coach. Yeah, that's, uh, it's funny, man. Like, I, um, someone had sent me, like, a trailer of that movie. And at first, I was like the Hundred Man Kumite. I'm like, that's um, you know, I thought that was like a like a Jean Claude Van Damme like blood sport. I, I didn't even know it was a real thing until I saw that documentary, and it was, it was pretty yeah. pretty mind blowing. There's not a lot of not a lot of uh, people that have gone through the Hundred Man Kumite. It's just it's just too grueling. So um, the big topic that I have amongst all my uh, you know colleagues here. Have you seen the new Twin Peaks um, series? I have not, I, uh, but that's also partially because I don't even have my TV set up. Not, uh-huh. not that I don't, don't have a TV, I just haven't got it set up. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's something I've been looking forward to ever since I think I first wa- you know, finished watching the second season like years and years ago. Um, you know, sort of anticipating the return of that or, and completion of that epic that uh, David Lynch did, so that's like kind of the big, uh, the big thing we got going on here. Oh yeah. Huh. Well, I, I'm a fan of uh, of David Lynch's stuff, you know, from all the way back to Dune and Blue Velvet, and uh, uh, I dig his work. So I, I somehow, I somehow think I'll, I'll I'll be into it, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, it's definitely that worth it, you know, because there's like this sort of. I was almost um, reluctant to to watch it because part of me was like, is it going to be this sort of nostalgia trip or is it going to be um, an actual legitimate entry into this, the overall storyline? And it, felt, it feels very, very modern. Like it feels like something that's current and, you know, utilizing like storytelling techniques that are current to, to now as opposed to, you know, a sort of nostalgia thing. So yeah, it's definitely valid, and it's like a good entry into the into his like twisted little world. You know. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Uh, uh, I forgot what I was gonna say, but uh, <laughs> you know, Twin Peaks is a very very famous property, and I can I can see the the like trepidation to want want to step back into that, especially after so long. And, and when I heard about the Blade Runner sequel oh, yeah. I felt this way and I saw the trailer for it and that assuaged a lot of my fears but still I'm not going to be 100% sure it's going to be what I hope it is well the trailer looks pretty cool and um, you know I have like confidence in Ryan Gosling I think that he's a, he's a fine Thank actor you. and uh, he's one of those rare sort of um, Paul Newman sort of Marlon Brando-esque Actors who sidesteps the kind of pretty boy vibe, and I think is also equally as appealing to men as he is to women, which is like a good thing, you know. I think the character yeah. in Blade Runner has to have that sort of quality about him. And um, just the uh, the concept of Blade Runner, I mean, 
in the technological advances that we've seen since the, that movie was made, I feel like that's becoming more and more part of like almost like a speculative, you know, speculation of where society's heading. You know? Yeah, I mean, and Blade, Blade Runner being heavily influenced by you know a, a lot of elements, and then from that, even the influence of Blade Runner on Neuromancer, uh, which is you know, a series of books by Gibson. These guys really were visionaries in ways about how society would change in a lot of ways and how technology would influence society. And a lot of what they have written about or what you might see in Blade Runner is becoming reality. Um, and I guess one could argue that on a metaphysical scale, did, did knowing or seeing the things from the book and from the movies, did, did they influence the creation of them in our actual time, or are they, ju- or were they more just uh, guesses that have come come correct from how, oh, from what humanity would, would find would be necessary as technology would advance, like where where they would put their energies in, in, into creating new tech, new tech. But in either case, uh, they're fucking. It's gonna. Uh, Blade Runner is my favorite movie of all time. The uh, the final cut version. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing this this sequel, especially because, like you said, Gosling is pretty great at what he does. He's likable across the board. And uh, it even looks like Harrison Ford's really putting it on out there because I, I, it was kind of it was cool to see him in uh, the, uh, the last Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, really, yeah. Yep. He was giving it his best. Oh, yeah. No, he, yeah, he's, he's uh, you know... They're definitely one of the, you know, like an A-list guy when it comes to, like, his abilities as an actor, for sure, you know. When does, uh, that comes out, like, we still, there's still, like, several months before Blade Runner comes out, right? It's, like, in the fall sometime. Probably. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's coming out anytime soon, but fuck, man, this year has gone by quick. I know. So I say, I say it's not coming out anytime soon, and then I'll walk out my door, and there it's, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be on the screen, so uh, hard to say. Yeah, it's kind of weird how time seems to go by a lot quicker, man. Once it's like you get over, you know, you hit a certain age, and it's like, damn, time is like speeding by. It is, and I think a lot of that has to do with how much responsibility we have to take on, and, and how much day to day stuff we're always taking care of. That isn't necessarily, it's not dependent on just our own sense of. school and um i'd only been away from to college for maybe two months and uh 
you know, pretty much the whole world is like the town that you grew up in and like your, you know, a couple of classmates and your parents and maybe their friends or some relatives. And coming back for uh, for Thanksgiving, it just everything seemed so less, so much less, you know, so much smaller in a lot of ways. You know, and you actually see the perspective of the town that you grew, grew up in in relation to the experiences you had in another city with other people and sort of like the superposition of those things together sort of made you realize that like, you know, there's a, there's a bigger reality out there besides the one that you might've known for the first 18 years of your life. That's true. That's very true. And then you add the element of, of global travel that we talked about earlier Yeah. and, and you know, your idea of what, what your, uh, what your known universe is, is shattered. Well, Josh, thanks a lot for uh, taking time out of your, uh, your day here. And um, so, yeah, appreciate, uh, appreciate the chat. Hey, my pleasure. All right, man. I'll see you soon. Take care now. All right.